whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is my excellence, if there is anything worth, worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, so for those of you who haven't been here, and, I, and by the way, I love seeing the college kids come home. It's like the swallows returning to Capistrano or something like this, right? And um, so, um, so for those of you guys who haven't been here, I, in some ways I feel a little sheepish. Uh, this feels like a part three of a, of, a, of a sermon I began two weeks ago, and I've been and I've been using an illustration out of this very famous movie called The Shawshank Redemption, and I'm going to go to that well one more time. I'm gonna, we're going to show you a movie clip. And for those of you who haven't seen this movie, I'm going to give you a quick little introduction. Um, it's a prison movie, and the, the central character of this movie is a guy named Andy Dufresne, who is convicted, even though he's he, of, of a murder, which he didn't commit, so he's innocent, and he is sentenced to this terrible prison called Shawshank um, for life. But unlike all the other regulars in prison, he doesn't handle it. He doesn't face prison the same way. And, um, and this is what the passage says. It says here, this, uh, whatever's true, whatever's honorful, whatever is just, this is how Andy deals with prison. He does this. He does precisely this. And... Um, so watching this, and I want to give you a picture. I think this is such a great, I'm, I'm almost sorry. I almost feel a little sorry for using the same illustration three weeks in a row, but it's so helpful, I think, and so appropriate for this passage that I want to go to it again. So please take a look at this. Um, just a bit of warning. Um, there is some, some really, really crude and terrible language um, in this sequence. Uh, it is a prison, and this is kind of the way they talk in prison. And so I'm, I apologize for that. And so please try to not be too offended or look past that language and, um, and enjoy the scene. Um, did you notice? Andy just does what this passage says. This is what he does. The passage says, Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. He, that's what he thinks about. He thinks about it so much, he writes a letter because he dreams that there could be a library in this horrible place called a prison, and it only took six years. And then when it shows up, when all these things show up, do you, do you, know, do you see his face? I've seen this sequence so many times now. I think some of my favorite parts are, are, the, are the look of his face when he goes, wow. And he goes, he can't, like, it's happening. And then he starts looking through. And by the way, for those of you guys who, who don't, that, there's a, that, that really weird round thing, that, that, that's called a record, okay? Uh, that's, how, that's how, like, really, you know, in, like, in ancient history, that's how they listen to music, all right? And so, um, um, and so he plays that record, and... Um, there it is. He decides, I have to share this. And he's willing to pay a cost two weeks in solitary so that this can get out into this horrible place called the prison. Um, 
in three parts. I want to talk about the relevance of this in three parts. The good creation and signals of transcendent beauty. That's part one. The good creation and its signals of transcendent beauty. Part two, common grace is seeking fulfillment. There's something called common grace, which was the theologians say, grace is gift, and God gives gifts, which is common to everybody, and, but it's seeking something. Common, part two, common grace seeking fulfillment, and part three, redeeming the groaning creation. Redeeming the groaning creation. Um, part one, uh, you know, I, I've been talking, for those of you who haven't been here, I, I, for, I, I, really, I just love this movie, and I love this movie so much. And it comes on TNT regularly, or TBS, and whenever it comes on, and I happen to be flipping the channels, I'm like, oh, here it's on. So, you know, I'll, I'll, there's like about maybe like four or five movies when it's on. It doesn't matter whether it's at the beginning or in the middle, I'll just watch it. <laughs> and this is one of them. And even if I, you know, maybe I only get 10 minutes and then I have to go run off, I'll, I'll watch those 10 minutes. And I've seen this sequence, I don't even know how many times, and it never ceases to make me happy. <laughs> um, uh, I, I love this, this reaction, this, this sense. Um, you know, God, this, this, this movie, it just speaks so much the truth. I, I know that... Um, you know, well, it doesn't seem to be about God, okay? Um, I want you to see it as this is what this passage is talking about. If you just read these verses, if you just read these verses on its own, whatever is true, honorable, beautiful, lovely, blah, 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 think about these things. Anybody can believe this, right? If you, could, if you, are, uh, um, if you are an atheist, if you are a Buddhist, if you're a Hindu, you could hear this thing. It sounds like a really good piece of advice, I mean, human beings, we all can just do this, right? Um, but actually doing it from the Bible is different. <laughs> because when everybody, anybody else just does it, it's just a piece of legalism <laughs> and moralism. That's all it is. And it's good advice. So actually, but we need to be told these things um, because the world, we do treat the world like a prison. I, I've been teaching, I've been, uh, for those of you here, you already hear this, so you're going to hear it again. But for those of you who haven't heard this, the word that we use today for the way we make the world like a prison is secular. And secular is just, it it's, comes from a Latin word called seculum. And seculum simply means the world. That's what it means. Secular means to treat the world as if it is everything. The world is the world. But we don't know if there's a heaven, if there is a hell, if there is a God, if there is eternity. Is there something beyond? It's just the world. That's secular. And some people, whether you believe you're an atheist and says there's, there's nothing beyond, that's truly secular. Or if you are, um, even if you are agnostic and you're like, I'm not sure if there is, but if you treat the world as if this is all that counts, because you don't know if there's anything beyond it, well, isn't that a prison? <laughs> that's all there is. So Andy is living in this prison. He's sentenced there to life. By the way, isn't that what we're sentenced here for life, by the way? <laughs> he's sentenced here for life. And while he is there, this is what he has to deal with. He has to avoid certain people that will rape him. <laughs> there are certain really horrific parts of the prison. And while he's there, 
you know, what, what is most, most of the people's preoccupations? Um, well, there's an economy in the prison. There's a black market that's, that's actually illegal, but this is the way they get things done. And you save up your little bit of money, and then you go to certain people who know how to run the economy of the prison. One of them is his, his best friend, a guy named Red. He's one of the dealers. And then they get little knickknacks and things that make them happy. And then they can get these little enjoyments. And they stay safe over here. As long as they're on the safe side of the prison, then this is their life is good. Right? But that's life. If this all there is, is there, it says here, think about what is just. Is it just if there is a gang who, whenever new prisoners come in, says, oh, that guy looks pretty. He's weak. We can bully him. Let's rape him. Is that just? But if this is all there is, there is no justice. That's all. That, they'll, it'll just happen. There'll be no answer. That's all there is. The economy of this prison, that's all there is. This horrible, dark, terrible place, that's all there is. Isn't that the way we treat this? This is all there is. But I want to say something to you. Um, God never intended this to be a prison. We make it into a prison. It's a prison with bars from our mind. <laughs> we made it this way. That's not the truth of this place. The place is made as a creation. And if you go to the beginning of the book, God, he makes everything. He makes everything wonderful. And everything he says, he makes it good. And he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's very good. Creation was intended not so much to be this prison where we make it everything, but it's actually intended to be a window. A window and a doorway to be with the fullness of God. Now, two weeks ago, I, I shared this message from the passage. And Paul says there are certain people who are coming into the, the churches and they're corrupting what we, what we believe. And they say, and, he, and this is, this is what he, how he describes them. He says, they're making their belly their God. <laughs> they're making their belly their God. And the way I taught that is the belly is the seat of your body where if you're just filled with earthly things, it feels satisfied. <laughs> That's it. So you, it has an appetite. It has hunger so that you can take this earthly fleeting thing and then you put food in it and then you eat it and then it feels satisfied. And in Paul's description of this is if you can try to treat your whole life as if you have these appetites and these earthly appetites, then you're only fixated here on this world and then you're making your belly your God. Gosh, that's a spot on description for our society. <laughs> I think that is how we are. The world is like, this is all there is. It's like a secular, it's the secular. It's like a big old prison. And all that matters, as long as we can, we're trying to, we can't, we don't feel that there's anything beyond this thing. So we're just looking toward our appetites. And if we can just feel our appetites, now we have a good life, right? That's life inside the prison. But what I said is that human beings were never meant to be this way. God made a good creation and then God, at the center of the human being, is not our belly, it is our heart. And the heart longs for things that you can't just be, that cannot be um, satisfied through something like sex, or money, or just anything earthly, or food, or security. These are the earthly goods that we want to satisfy ourselves with, but the heart can never be satisfied with those things. The heart longs for something else. 
It doesn't just long for that which is lovely. It, it longs for that which is infinitely beautiful. The heart doesn't just last long for justice. The heart longs for justice which will ring true forever and forever. Not just for truth. That which is true, it says here, think on the things that are true. But truth that will never be defeated by a lie. Eternal truth. That's what the heart longs for. That's the human being. <laughs> and the human being longs for these things. And here it says here, think on these things. Don't settle for the belly. Think on these things. And here in our time, I think it's really good that we need to, well, who needs to be told these things? All, don't all human beings think of these things? I don't think that's true. On the one hand, I think we need to be told these things simply because there's a powerful temptation when you live in a prison to just say, oh, well, whatever, they're being raped over here, but as long as I'm comfortable over here. And just say, this is just, this is it. And actually, if you watch this movie, The Shawshank Redemption, there's a tension. The, the fundamental tension in the movie is this guy, Andy, is living in the prison, but he refuses to live in the prison. And there's this thing, and actually right after this sequence, um, he says, haven't any of you ever felt this way about music before? And, and then um, his best friend, Red, says, like, what are you talking about? He goes, I'm talking about hope. That's the word the Bible uses <laughs> for that which is beyond. <laughs> that, that this thing which is very real. <laughs> and... and and Red, Red is so much, he's so imprisoned by, he calls it, there's a word for it in the movie, he calls it being institutionalized. That's the word that the, the Red uses for being so enslaved for this cage of a world that it completely owns you. So that when, when, when uh, Andy talks about hope, you know what Red does? He actually reacts against it. He says, hope is dangerous. Absolutely. You know why? Because hope has the power to break down the bars. The human being, you can't just settle for that which settles for the belly. The human being longs for a beauty which transcends. The word transcends means it's beyond this. It's beyond the secular. We, we long for a transcendent and infinite beauty. I want to... I wanna, I, I, last week, I, I urged you to read these, uh, I don't know, three, four pages, three, four pages out of this wonderful book, um, one of the most uh, wonderful books. It's called Mere Christianity, written by one of the brilliant 20th century Christians, C.S. Lewis. And I would like to um, just uh, read for you one of the things he says about this, um, about our longings, about our desires. That's what he says. There's a Christian way to deal with the fact that we have these longings and desires. And here's where he puts it. The Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. <laughs> a duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another 
world. <laughs> Get it? If none of my earthly pleasures satisfies it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy this longing, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. Sometimes I think that's what Christians do. Say so they see that the world is so drunk with earthly pleasures, so then we, we think we're so holy by like despising earthly pleasures. And Lewis says, that's wrong. I absolutely agree. That's wrong. On the one hand, don't do that. But on the other hand, never mistake these earthly pleasures for the something else, else of which they're only a kind of copy or echo or a mirage. That's what he says. We have this longing, and these earthly pleasures, really all they are is they're kind of like an echo of the real song. <laughs> they're like a, just a, 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 like a, a, a little faint copy of the real thing that's awaiting us. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. Transcendent beauty. God made the world not to be a prison, but he put all these signals that we don't fully just belong here, that this is a doorway to where we really belong with him. That's part one. Part two, um, common grace seeking fulfillment. So um, what is common grace? Grace, you know, if you come to our church, you know, we like to hear that, use that word. Grace is, some, is this, this is all grace means. Grace is to be given something you don't deserve. You can't earn it. You won't earn it. But it's given to you. <laughs> you don't deserve it. You and I don't deserve this, but it's given to us. But the theologians have a word for something that's given not just to the Christians, but it's given commonly to everybody. God made the world filled with his beauty, and he gives that beauty, that truth, that wonder, that excellence to everybody indiscriminately. They hate him. They don't believe in him. They think the Bible's idiotic. They despise Christianity. They rebel against his laws, everything. And yet God gives a common grace to everybody. Why? Because I told you, it's not a prison. It's not meant to be a prison. So just examples of this. Um, um, I, I, I use this one in the first service. So you had a bunch of college kids here. And I say, uh, you see a little baby. Maybe it's your baby. Or maybe it's not even your baby. It's your friend's baby. I mean, soon we're going we're gonna to see Hung and Sue's baby. The kid is cute. <laughs> Let me tell you. And we see this, one of the, 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 the babies in the church, and he wanders around, and he's got, you see his little personality, and you see them say something, and it's completely hilarious, and it's like better than TV, okay? And it's, I mean, before there was TV, this was people's entertainments. They just had a kid just wandering around, just doing their things, okay? And it's just beautiful. And anybody can get it. Just 
grace, commonly great, given. And, um, or the other, you know, another one, you know, people, <laughs> I, uh, um, I think it was last year, um, sometimes every now and then, I, I've shared this with some of you, that I, I go, like to go to the beach and spend hours there and pray. And I was at the beach in Santa Cruz to pray, and it happened to be right at sunset, and I was sitting at this bench, and this lady said, can I sit and enjoy the sunset with you? I said, sure. And this lady turned out to have this really out there worldview. <laughs> we ended up having a conversation, and she was a new ager, and she believed in all these really weird, funky things. And yet, nonetheless, we were both just human beings there receiving the beauty of God. I mean, we know we're, do you know that you were so blessed to live on the West Coast? I used to live on the East Coast, and I think sunsets are much more glorious than sunrises. And the way I look at it is God gives a piece of art in the morning. He says, here's my beauty in the morning. And then he goes, and if you, if you like that one, I'll do it better in the evening. Boom. And then he gives us a sunset. We get the, we get the better one. <laughs> and anybody can enjoy it. But a lot of people think, oh, these wonderful things that we have, the music and the sunset and the cute kids and, and the art and, and all these kinds of things, this is just regular life, isn't it? And then the Christians and then all the religious people, they do their little religion thing. This is how our society feels. That this is real life, normal life, and then there's all these good things inside of it. And then in the, inside their churches and the temples, they do this little religion thing. And the religion thing, I think, is largely irrelevant. <laughs> You know what that means? That means they're so institutionalized in the prison that they're living for their belly and they can't see that the little thing that's inside that we talk about inside here, actually, this is the real thing. That's why, you know, the, the, the old theologians had a word for this. People said, you were separating out the thing that's sacred from the thing that's profane. The, the so-called re the real world from the religious world. But actually... <laughs> The whole world rings with God. It says, in our society, um, people, we think that there's a discourse called science. And we think science can explain everything. But actually, science is, and I love science, by the way. And I, I, I seriously thought about, um, you know, studying science. I was pre-med. My favorite science when I was pre-med was organic chemistry. I hated it at first because I was failing it, but then when it started clicking, I was like, this is like amazing stuff, actually. Um, but let me tell you something. This idea that science can explain everything, it's complete nonsense. <laughs> science is utterly competent. It's competent to, to describe and explain things in the natural world, but this is beyond the natural world. <laughs> we long for things that go beyond the natural, transcends. <laughs> and so... Here we are, and science can get into the things that are common grace, but God, the right way of thinking about it, it's a grace. Even science is part of common grace. It's a gift that God gives us. And yet, all of us human beings, all common grace, if you long for it, it screams. It's like an incomplete thing. It's the beauty within common grace screams for a completion of something else. And the Bible calls that saving grace because the utter, most infinite beauty comes from God himself until God comes and redeems us through his saving grace. All this longing inside us can't find its completion. Um, 
I want to tell you one more thing about this before I go to the final portion of my message. Um, the gospel is this. The world was made this beautiful entryway into the infinite beauty and glory of God. And then human beings were placed on this earth, but the world was incomplete. The story of what the world, where, how it will turn out, was incomplete. And it was up for grabs in a sense. And, you know, you don't need to be a Christian to know this. Uh, if you can see, you can just observe people throughout history. And um, the anthropologists have said this. The sociologists have said this. All the different philosophers have said this. The human being is a strange creature. It's not like any other creature here on this earth. And the way they put it this way, the Bible says that God made man from the dust. But he wasn't just of the dust. He was made in the image of God. Now, this is the way secular folks have said it. They said the human being is an animal. I think that's the same way, the secular way of saying we're made from the dust. We're like of the flesh like all the other animals. We're like the animal, but it's a strange animal. This is the way the anthropologists put it. It's an animal that needs to worship. It's an animal that, that uh, cries. <laughs> It's an animal that needs to love. And if it doesn't have meaning, if it doesn't have love, this animal dies. You know why? Because we were made from the dust, but we're made in the image of God. And the way, this is the way C.S. Lewis puts it. We may, be, we may be animals, but actually what we're really intended to be, we're like little gods. That's the way he put it. Little gods, that's the way he says we are what being in the image of God is supposed to be. And a human being, human being can't help but long for the infinite beauty of God. And the human being's role here on this earth is to reflect that beauty and take the creation and then bring the infinite beauty and truth of God and pull it all over creation. That's, that was our role. But instead, what we decided to do is give God a big, fat, middle finger and said, we want to replace you. We're going to be our own lords. We don't need you. We don't like your rules. We don't like your wisdom. We're going to do what we want to do. And then we're going to try to make this world the heaven that we can imagine. That's secular prison. That's where we're at. But instead, God says, no. I love you too much. It can't be a prison. It's never meant to be a prison. And so he came to take the image of God back. We're trying to snuff the image of God out to the image of ourself and replace the real God image, the real beauty on this earth with ourselves, and we're turning this place into a hell. But the common grace, it screams for a completion. It screams for a redemption. Let me um, close my message. No, let me close my message with, uh, with this Bible verse. And I want to take you to this very, very important and incredible verse. If you have your Bible in front of you, um, I, 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 from first service, I think I, if you have it, it's in the Pew Bibles, it's page 944. We're going to Romans chapter 8. We're going to Romans chapter 8. 
verse 18. In all of Paul's letters, this is how he always puts it. The front part of the book, what does he talk about? He talks about the gospel. He, what has God done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, which we can never do for ourselves? We can never achieve this for ourselves. And then in the back part of the book, he says, because this is how will we now live? How do we respond to the incredible grace that we have been given? And, um, and the way we do it is really not that, it's really not hard, actually. What we do is we live to our heart. We believe the gospel because all the non-Christians can think on that which is true and beautiful and just and excellent, and they can try to, but for them, it's always just a piece of advice. It's a piece of legalism. Secular people today, are, it's, we're, we're always being accused of legalism and works righteousness by secular folks, but actually they're incredibly legalistic. They're just legalistic to their own little standards of beauty, which is just about them. But for us, it's never about us. We can live, this is the step that we take because we believe the gospel. It's a response to what we have been given. And I want you to get this now. Here we go. How do you redeem? Redeem just means to take back. Redeem means to buy back. The Lord came to redeem not just individuals from us being prisoners. He, take, he came to tear down the bars altogether and to take back all of creation. Here we go. Here's Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the really hard parts of being inside the prison, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation has subjected to futility, was subjected to futility, not willingly. See, the creation actually is, doesn't like this, that we're always corrupting it with our evil and with our shortcuts, that justice is always frustrated and that beauty is always marred by our ugliness. It's not willingly. But because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning. It's groaning. The whole world is groaning. <laughs> Together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. As we wait eagerly for, adopt for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's the resurrection. That's what we're waiting for. For in this hope, we were saved. There was that word, hope. That word, which is a chapter of that C.S. Lewis book. The word which rings throughout that movie, Shawshank Redemption. In this hope, we were saved. You see, what is the creation waiting for? There were these people we became crashed in on ourselves and we decided that this is all there is and we turned the world into like a secular prison. We built up our little black markets and our economies 
And then we just live this enslaved existence. But the whole creation, because what was intended was God placed this creature, this animal, who's actually a little God. And this creature is, has dominion over the creation. And his role is to take infinite beauty, justice, and truth from the one he was meant to be after, the one that he or she was supposed to be shine like, and then shine it out into the creation. And the whole creation would then come to where it's supposed to be. The gospel is not just this. I do bad things. Thankfully, Jesus came to pay that off, and then I can just get out of here and then just go to the good place, and I'll just kind of bide my time and try to be as comfortable on this side of the prison as I can until I get to get out of here. No. The creation is groaning in corruption and enslavement, but it's saying, we're waiting to be freed. When the sons and daughters of God... And the sons and daughters of God will live in their resurrection and utterly reflect and shine the infinite beauty of their Father. <laughs> How do we live in that today? This is our story. This is what we live in. This is what Jesus came for. Not just to take us out, but to claim the whole world back. <laughs> and he came. And how do we do it? Actually, in one sense, it's really simple. In one sense, it seems so tremendous, tremendously impossible. You start by first saying, this is who I am. I don't belong here. My citizenship is out there. And then you do things like this. You think on the things that are true and excellent and lovely and commendable. And if you just begin, the passage doesn't even say do them. It just says start thinking on them. <laughs> and then you know what we start doing? Then we start becoming like Andy Dufresne. Then we start writing letters once, one a week. And we're like, hey, we can have a, a library here. It only takes six years. Six years. The beauty of God cannot be stopped. Must not be stopped. And this is who I am. And we do this, except we do it behind somebody and with somebody and with the power of someone far greater than Andy Dufresne. Andy could just make little pockets, <laughs> pockets of freedom. Andy wore like, as I, as I read to you a couple weeks ago, he wore like, he had like this invisible coat of freedom. And even that one man with the invisible coat of freedom can affect all these other people. But one came. He came into our secularity to break down the walls. He didn't just come to put little pockets of healing and beauty and infinite justice. Instead, he came to take off his coat of freedom and put it on us. And we would live like sons and daughters of God. We would live like little gods on this earth. So don't live for your belly. Your heart is a signal of your true citizenship and of your true destiny and of your real inheritance. Live that way. Take these little pieces and we'll start showing the world there's something more. And we'll take this world back. Help redeem the creation back to God. 
Let's pray. Father, we admit to you, um, you know, we, we, that sequence like that in the movie is so wonderful. And yet, our habits are just so, oh, just, just let's just settle for this. This just, oh, that's just the way we are. Oh, you know, that's just too hard. We can't change that. And there's something terrible happening in some portion of the, of the world. But Lord, um, you came so that eternal and infinite beauty and justice could reign. Lord, today is a Palm Sunday. It's the week before you went to the cross. And there was a city. Lord, you didn't intend it to just put us on a garden. You intended there would be a whole glorious city. And one day there will be the most incredible resurrection city that you call, we call the New Jerusalem. We are citizens there. And death will no longer hold us. And our corrupted hearts and minds will no longer be with us. We'll be like you. We'll be like little gods. We'll be in the image of the Son of God. We thank you that Jesus went into that city and that city rejected him. Indeed, that city crucified him. And to this day, so many of us lost, imprisoned people, we seek to reject you and hate you. But we thank you that you came. You came to tear down the walls. You came into that city. And a week, a week, this week awaits that you would die the death we deserved so that all the bars and all the injustice and all our ugliness and all our horrible evil would die with you on the cross. (laughs) And you would take us to our true heavenly home. And we would be really have our true adoption as sons and daughters of God who would truly image you forever and ever. Help us to live like that now. Not tomorrow, not wait. May we set our minds on that which is infinitely lovely and beautiful and live like that now and help the world see you are God. You are a Savior. And this is what awaits us. I promise in Jesus' name. Amen.